Welcome to another episode of the Umbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. As always, I'm your host and editor of Umbrella, Neil Griffiths, joined by my trusty pal and the publisher of Umbrella, Adam Lang. Adam, welcome. Hello, Neil. And uh, a, a new guest appearance. Well, not new, but what do we call it? Contributing editor to the podcast? Lauren McNamara. Yeah, something like that. Hello, how hello. How are you doing, Lauren? Me. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, thanks good. for coming on the show. I think this is your second episode of the year. I think it's my third. Oh, well, that hurts. Can we fact check that, please, Adam? Well, I think Lauren's career on the Umbrella Cast began way back in 2023, <laughs> you know, when we were just starting this humble isn't it, podcast. Isn't it sad that it really is long for this particular thing? <laughs> way back in the day. Um, well, guys, big news as always this week. Uh, if you haven't seen already, the Workplace Gender Equality Agency has published the gender gap for more than 5,000 Australian companies with a precise state of disparity between the sexes on public display for the first time ever. We covered this topic pretty extensively on the Mumbrella website. You can check it out at mumbrella.com.au. Uh, we looked at the, quote, startling state of the media and advertising landscape and also brand advertisers. So, Lauren, I might throw to you for this one because, let's be honest, you were one of the people that covered this extensively. Um, why don't you walk us through it? Yeah, I just want to start by noting we've had a couple comments in one of the stories about sort of what the gender pay gap actually is. There seems to be some sort of misconception. So I, I want to make sure that everyone knows that it's not the difference between a man and a woman, that the pay that they get for doing the same job. That's not what it is. That's not legal in Australia. Um, it's It refers to the difference between sort of the average earnings of a man and a woman over their lifetime. Um, and... So when we talk about gender pay gap, we actually have to sort of factor in all the socioeconomic things that affect that, you know, the fact that women didn't work, um, historically didn't work when mm -hmm. men did. Mm -hmm. um, women are more likely to take sort of those caring responsibilities in the home. Workplaces are less likely to be flexible for those caring responsibilities. Um, yeah, I just think it's important to sort of note that before we <laughs> talk about any of the actual numbers. But Starting off sort of strong, there's some out-of-home companies that are doing pretty well. Omedia, for example, and JC Deco. Um, they're sort of leading the charge with negative gender pay gaps, which is quite impressive. Um, but excluding them, this industry was not very good. I mean, across the TV networks, the gap sort of ranged from 5 to 15%. Um, News Corp was at 9.4% across both metrics, which is the median base salary and the median total remuneration. Foxtel sat between 8 and 10% across those two metrics. And radio wasn't really all that much better. ARN sat at 10.2% and 12%. And SEA was uh, a little bit better at 56 and 5.9%. And Nova was at 9 and 6%. Um, sort of the biggest outlier that we saw in the media company sort of area is Spotify. Uh, it had a 23.5% gap in the median base salary and 26.3% gap in median total, um, which I just think is kind of appalling. So that was that was really interesting to see. And, and looking at agencies, um, a big thing is it's quite interesting to me to see how the different holding companies sort of approach this. The transparency across the board was obviously fantastic, but I feel like there was a lack of consistency in how these big holding companies uh, reported their numbers. So Dentsu reported their gap of 18% as a whole company, 
Um, they didn't split it up between their agencies, while IPG Media Brands separated itself from one of its agencies' initiative. And so IPG Media Brands had a 0% gap, while Initiative had a 5.6% gap across both the metrics. And I just think it's, um yeah, I, it's just fascinating how these different companies have sort of manipulated it mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I wonder if that was purposeful or if, I don't know, they just wanted to showcase how their different agencies are doing. I mean, WPP did the same. They split it up according to their agencies. Um, Ogilvy, uh, which is part of the WPP company, did not do great. It had a 23.1% gap in the median base salary and 22.6% in median total, um, which was the second highest gap. The highest we saw was from independent agency Howitson and Company, um, which had a 25.4% gap in median base salary and 25.5% in the total. Obviously, that's a lot of numbers, um, (laughs) but, you know, a 25% gap is not not very good at all. Um, It it clearly shows that, you know, in sort of maybe junior roles, we're seeing a lot of women, but not so much in the senior leadership roles, and that's why there's such a huge disparity. And... As for brands, the the biggest sort of outlier was that a lot of the franchised retailers had lower gaps. So Macca's was at 0%, KFC was at 1.4 and 1.1% across the metrics, Woolies was at 5.7 um, and Coles was at 6 and 5.6% and so on. So yeah, that was sort of the biggest outlier with the, with the brands. So before we move on, um, Adam, we mentioned at the top of the show that to, to people like Laura and I, 2023 seems like a lifetime ago. We don't remember post pre-TikTok. But for someone like yourself who's been around the block <laughs> with your extensive C-suite experience uh, and the fact that this is the first time in history these these stats have been released, what was your reaction? First, your reaction to this, and then I kind of want to work backwards, but first, your reaction to the stats coming out today. Sure. Well, this so, week, sorry. Data nerd in me, very happy. To see so many numbers. And to me, Lauren, it's a delight to hear you rattle. I know Lauren said, Mm. oh, there's a lot of numbers. And I just knew Adam was beaming. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I guess to to underline the importance of those numbers, this is such a serious set of information. So I am a 55-year-old white Australian English-speaking male, right? Probably in many people's mind the definition of privileged. And yes, I have been through those executive ranks from the bottom of a number of industries, music, radio, television, to arguably part of the top. And so now, of course, the pinnacle of my career working with Mumbrella, right? So we get access to this data, as everyone now does, and that's such a healthy thing. Then, sort of stepping back from the excitement about the data and the insight, it's really to take responsibility as I am including myself in that is that we have not successfully navigated pathways to support women and long-term careers. And that includes remuneration, bonuses, work flexibility, superannuation, the lot. And I think that's what's so precious about this data. Since 1969, equal pay, equal work. That's been the case, gender equality and pay. So that's that's at least two generations now, right? So in terms of this next evolution in how we create those pathways in every employer, whatever industry, to support people going, okay, look, you do not sacrifice when you have a child. You know, just to take one example of workplace flexibility. There's others, of course. You might have ill parents that you need to look after. There's all sorts of circumstances. But just to choose one 
But that so traditionally has fallen to women to do the caring. It's that's not that's just not right. Mm. That's not good for men or women, right? So I am very um, sensitive to being responsible, and I've had the benefit of being promoted in my career in probably what is considered was very male dominated and is now hopefully less so, but it's still got a way to go. And it's beyond, well beyond the equal work, equal pay. This is about the whole employment circumstance and how we work together to make that better. It should be zero. Right? There should mm. be no difference, right? And so we've got to accelerate a number of the things that have been done because it's not changing quick enough. And not to hold you to a particular date or time, but do you mm. recall when these conversations started happening. And we know like the, the sure. traditional classic YouTube troll comment, which was, there's no pay gap. It's a myth. It's, you know, it's because women don't work as much in, in your experience, in your career, when did that conversation start happening? Whereas this is an actual issue we need to talk about. So mine, everyone's experience is unique, right? So sure. I, I worked through uni um, at pubs and restaurants. There was many women working through the ranks on bars, supervising bars, managing bars, but probably most of the owners were men, right? And so th there's a difference there. But my experience was not as an owner. It was going, hey, it was equal. I had as many women bosses as I did men. And then to the music industry, very opinionated. Sure. And so there were as many women in executive ranks as there were men. Typically the owners were men, right? And, and so that, that was different. Radio, television, probably the same thing. You know, most boards were men, but that changed as I was going through. Um, most of the executives were equal split. So I, I've had the benefit of working at companies where it was very forthright, very competitive, and closer to equal than anything, right? And so it should have been. Um, but I would say that colleagues and friends of mine who've worked in finance, you know, you look at banking and investment, very, very male-dominated. And that's just to pick a, a couple of, you know, different industries. So no doubt what, what was my experience going through is not the same everywhere. And overall, and again, that's part of what's exciting about this data, is you really get a pinpoint on how industries are behaving, how companies within industries are behaving. So it, it's really interesting. And I think without the naming of companies, you probably wouldn't have this bigger story because people are going, oh, no, well, how do I defend this story? Or how do I change this? Or indeed, in some cases, when you've got companies with zero or near zero difference going, how'd you do it? <laughs> how do we learn from that? How do we do it better? Mm. Because it's that's what's inspirational about their stories. They've already done it. We've got to accelerate the path where most, most companies can get to zero difference as quickly as possible. And Lauren, going back to my terrible impression of a YouTube troll there, when you <laughs> hear those those really awful and just... I don't even know the word for it. Terrible comments about there. It's a myth. When we look at these stats, I mean, when you were putting this story together, what was your initial reaction when you were putting these together and seeing the stats in real time? And as to Adam's point, even seeing the brands be called out on it. Yeah, it's it's tough. As a young woman, it's a bit um, just startling, I think, is the best word to use. I think it's hard to sort of put into words because similar to Adam, my experiences of previous jobs was always, you know, I spent five years working at Macca's and I was a medical receptionist and casual part-time jobs before Mumbrella. And I never really had an experience of the gender pay gap. Um, obviously the, the data shows that Macca's was at 0%. Uh, in my experience, there were women across all levels of senior leadership. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I think it's just, yeah, just a bit startling to see. Um, and it, I mean, I, I have hope because, you know, conversations that I'm having with people, they are seeing changes. Um, you know, there are more women coming into the junior roles now that in 10, 20 years time will be hopefully at that senior leadership level in the C-suite. And I just, I hope that, you know, every year as this data comes out, we see it improving and we see those numbers getting smaller and we see companies actually trying to do better. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Accountability. Mm. If this time next year we have these results released, do it, it would be a shock if there were companies getting worse, no? It's bound to happen, right? I, I mean, just you'd love to think it wouldn't be the case, but it's bound to happen. And I think the, the, the path for all of us has to be to try and role model the best of it so that we just move this more quickly and advocate. And at Mumbrella, we should be doing that advocacy for people who are doing it really well because the benefits are going to be profound, right? There is no doubt about that. When you represent your customer base, in our case, our audience is men and women of all different ages in the media and marketing industry. There's roughly 200,000 people in Australia, according to the Bureau of Statistics, another number from my favourite <laughs> suit. But, you know, that that's a big chunk of employment mm. right there. And it sh it's a definitely representative sample. So you said, we, well, okay, we work with that industry. We want to partner with the industry to be the best in the world. So how do we do that? And there's no doubt about it that we must also get to zero difference, you know. So it, it, it is part of the onus being on us and everyone in the industry to do it. And it's achievable. Some companies have shown they're already doing it. So this isn't beyond anyone. Um, in response to your question, yeah, some companies could get worse. That is statistically likely. It's unfortunate, but we've got to do our best to sway that balance so that the 14, the 15, the 20, the 40% differences, those outliers are corrected as quickly as possible towards zero. Yeah, just on that, Adam, I just wanted to point out one more outlier that I sort of forgot to mention earlier. Um, Sportsbet, it's one of the only companies in the top 20 Australian advertisers list that uh, pays its female staff more, a higher base salary. It's 2.4% more. But when you sort of look at the total number, uh, it skews towards males and they're then paid 0.6% more. And that, that was just quite fascinating to me. It's pretty close, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. So, so one day, Lauren, when we're working for you, will you look after <laughs> us too? I'll try my best. Thank you. Speak for yourself, all right? I'm not that much older than Lauren. <laughs> I'm a young man still. <laughs> I'll work for you both. <laughs> well, again, you can check out both stories on mumbrella.com.au right now. Uh, after the break, we'll talk about something that happened early this week at the ARN offices relating to the gender pay gap. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to the Mumbrella cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, Adam Lang and Lauren McNamara. Guys, before the break, we spoke about the gender pay gap uh, coverage that we got up on memorial.com.au. Uh, two really thought out, engaging pieces there. And then later in the day, we found out that uh, ARN had a bit of trouble of their own. So on Tuesday's show, Kyle, um, this is the quote from Kyle. He said, Southern Cross Osteria has a disgraceful 3.9% pay gap. At Nova and Smooth FM, it's even worse at 6%. But unfortunately, the numbers, the number one spot is at KISS FM, at the top of the tree with a 12% pay gap disparity. So there was a little bit of back and forth between Kyle and Jackie. Um, and 
people might know intern Pete Deppler. Uh, of course, got his name being an intern on the show. He's now one of the, the top producers there. It was revealed that Deppler is actually paid double more than what his female colleagues takes home. Um, to which point Jackie said, are you freaking joking? I'm so angry about that. It makes my blood boil. She then staged a walkout with other female workers and she said, we've all gone. So we know that Kyle loves a storm out. This is the first time I think Jackie, <laughs> Jackie walked out. And I mean, rightfully so just going back to Kyle's point there about the networks in total. So again, SEA 3.9%, Nova and smooth 6%, kiss FM 12%. Adam, your thoughts as the radio head honcho. <laughs> Good on him. You know, it deserves being highlighted. So I support it. You know, I think aside from the theatre of good radio, showing passion for topics that are important to you is terrific. So I think it's great. So ARN Chief People Officer Angela Uwas spoke to Mumbrella earlier today where she actually said she admitted that, you know, if she owned up to the stats, she said there's got, they've got some work to do. Lauren, that's probably the best case scenario of this, right? The fact that someone has been called out for something. And again, let's stress, it was Kyle who called ARN out and they have owned it. They haven't tried to, what do we call it? Doing the Optus where you try and deflect. <laughs> they they said, yep, we did it. We've got to, we've got to work on this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's good. It's fantastic to see and to hear that. And I think it's interesting to note that Jackie O's walkout was with a bunch of other female mm employees where I think they're actually probably impacted by this gender pay gap more so than Jackie O. Um, but it was really good to see her standing in solidarity with her colleagues and good to see uh, KISS respond. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, it's a good point there. We've had some comments on the story um, where some people have said, you know, that's pretty rich of Jackie to be walking out mm. with the money that she's on. I think it's roughly $12 billion for 2025. <laughs> um, but to your point, the fact that she, it wasn't just she stormed out, it was her with the female staff. I think that speaks volumes and you probably do need someone with a bit of status to, to lead that, right, Adam? Yeah, and look, she's in, in, in the combo of Kyle and Jackie, I would say two things in my observation. I think they're... Equal, their equality toward each other is has always been important to them. So th that is not a surprise at all to me. And for Kyle to support the careers of women is completely normal in his history. So neither of them are doing anything out of the ordinary there. I think what Jackie, I, I hope that what Jackie is seen to be doing is taking a matter of principle. And this is unrelated to how much she gets paid to apply her trade because she and Kyle are clearly exceptional, right? They earn the money they get, mm -hmm. this deal and the one that starts next year. And we know soon as an aside too, they'll be going into Melbourne, which is something of a historic thing. So they, they are groundbreaking in, in so many ways. And for her to adopt this cause, I think it's righteous It's and it's in harmony with what she's done in her past. So I think she can completely and authentically uh, involve herself in this and her female colleagues. So well done. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously I joke when I say 12 billion, it's actually 200 million. It's a 10-year deal with the KISS network. But it was actually really cool as well to to hear Kyle talk about um, back in the day, Adam, of the Hot 30 countdown on Today FM, he found out that at the time, now he didn't specify a year, so we've got to assume what the early... Let's just say it's roughly 20 years ago. I don't yeah. want to be dated too much, Neil. It's not all about me. Yeah, but so Kyle found out that he was earning $80,000 more than Jackie and he immediately took it to management and said, it's the Kyle and Jackie O show. What are you doing? So, again, if that was 20 years ago, fast forward to now, the fact that Jackie is in that position of power and helping her colleagues, going back to these stats and, and the positive effect it can have, that's only good, right, Lauren? 
Yeah, look, I don't really agree with a lot of things that Carl and Jackie O do, <laughs> but uh, this one I gotta I gotta give it to them. I think this was such a important thing that they've sort of done, and it's great to see that it's something Kyle still stands for twenty years ago to now. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Kyle and Jackie O, Mumbrella's own deputy editor Nathan Jolly sat down with ARN chief Kieran Davis to talk all about the happenings at ARN right now, including the when, the where, the what of when Kyle and Jackie O will start in Melbourne. I found it interesting that you compared like paying big money for to secure talent with sports rights, which I thought was a very interesting thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes when, when people get involved with sports rights, you know, they look for surety of audiences and surety of commercial yeah. return. Um, you know, we've, Colin and Jackie O, have demonstrated over the last 20 years their ability to create audiences. And, you know, one of the things we looked at when we were talking to them in contract renewals last year was their ability to regenerate younger audiences coming through. Um, so, you know, from it, people have asked, you know, is 10 years a long time? From, from an audience generation perspective, I absolutely think they'll be as relevant today as they will be in five or 10 years' time. And the construct of the contract themselves is, is quite innovative and commercial, which means that they're, they're motivated to deliver, uh, yes, audiences, but, but much more commercial returns. So the construct, I think, has helped solidify where we're going as a business because we, we do believe in, in the power of, of great talent to keep radio relevant. And, you know, we have a saying here, what's between the songs is much more important than the songs themselves. Um, and, and that's something across our network that we look to do. Same with Christian. Christian came along from the UK market into Melbourne, you know, five years ago, people thought we were mad. He has been, you know, very successful, very quick. Uh, he's also world-class talent and he is equally motivated for the next five years. So I, I think the construct is kind of unique, but but I, it, it is akin to sports rights. And do you know and when... Do you what, know what, when... We've done, what we've done is, is lock them up, if you like, for a long period of time to, to, to stop, you know, them, them, them being poached by competitors, but, but increasingly someone like Spotify would have a look at them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know when Kyle and Jackie are starting in Melbourne yet? Kyle said six weeks, two weeks ago. <laughs> okay. Um, we haven't released the date yet. We, we have started the, the, the pre-marketing down there. We have started the on-air promos. We have introduced them in terms of some of the content that, that they do. Um, it, it's sooner rather than later. Um, actually, we're moving offices in Sydney, and we want to make sure that the, the technology and the syncing technology from a broadcast perspective is set up. Oh, so you're waiting for that, like the actual, there's a technical reason, is there? That's interesting. That, that, that's part driven by it, yeah. And in terms of promo, obviously this is a big push for them in Melbourne. How do you think they will go? Because they have a national audience. They do have a national audience, and, and you know, the, the show is, is not geographic-specific, if you like. Yeah. Um, it, it's very much entertainment-based. It's very much around pop culture. Um, it's very much about the relationship between Kyle and Jackie and what they both bring to the show. Um we, we look at sort of the, the podcast downloads, particularly over the last 12 months in, around the, the country, but particularly in Victoria, have been very, very strong. So from that perspective, uh, we believe the time is right to, 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 to go with it. Equally, you know, the value of the Melbourne market is about 220 million advertising-wise, which is bigger than Sydney. Um, and, and we haven't been able to crack really the sort of consistent audience growth and, and number one position down there. We've been sort of five, six in a tight market. Um but we do believe that the style of content that they have, the much broader appeal that, that Kyle has, and, and you know his, his content is not all shock shock. There's an awful lot of, of elements and, and sophistication to Kyle from that perspective, that um, they, they will drive the audience and, and ultimately the, the revenue will follow. So why didn't this hap- happen earlier? 
I think primarily because of, you know, podcasting in particular has solidified our mind around their their national appeal um, and their Melbourne appeal. And, you know, about 11% of podcast downloads, and they do about two and a half million, about a month, um, come from Victoria now. So our ability to, to see that data gives us confidence that, that, that they will be successful. And what about them going nationally? Was that part of the conversation? Is it still part of the conversation? It's not part of the conversation. Um, but, you know, I think, I think the opportunity, because... Melbourne, Sydney account for 62% of the ad market uh, in commercial dollars. The opportunity is to get Melbourne and and Brighton and holding Sydney, and that's what we're focused on. Welcome back to the Mumbrella cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, Adam Lang, and Lauren McNamara. Lauren, I'm so excited you're here for this. I think this is your first one of the year, possibly second. I'm not too sure. It's it's Adam's other business. It's everyone's favorite segment. Be more excited, please. (laughs) I'm so excited. Yay! (laughs) Can you hit one of the buttons, please, Adam, and just see whichever one works? There we go. Mm. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. It's time (laughs) for Adam's other business. Adam, what in the world is making other business? Well, with that lovely, somber introduction, (laughs) stage three tax cuts. Who wouldn't be excited about that? One July, they begin. Uh, Lauren McNamara brought this to my attention this morning, which delighted me that the Senate passed the stage three tax cuts last night. So what does that mean to us in the world of media and marketing? Well, each of us, well, eight out of nine income earners, will have more money in their pocket, more net pay come 1 July, and that will help alleviate some of the cost of living pressure. So have a look at Mumbrella in the coming week. Lauren's going to do a story on this with some of her own opinions on the matter, on the stage three tax cuts, which Mm -hmm. I'm very much looking forward to. So that is one very important thing that will affect us in the world of media and marketing because people will be able to afford more things. So that what they look at buying might change, how we market those messages might change. Just to bring some of the stats into the mix, we are currently, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 26.6 million big in Australia. That's how many people live here. The CPI, obviously the inflation figure is at 4.1, gross domestic product 2.1, average weekly earnings $1,889 a week gross. That's nearly 98K. Right. So we're wow. nearly $100,000 average weekly earnings. Wow. Unemployment rate is at 4.1%. Purpose of bringing up all those stats, it's actually felt like there's been a lot of pressure and things have been tough with cost of living and so on, increasing interest rates, fuel prices, energy prices. But underneath all of this is actually some really good data. So with a bit more spending in our pocket come 1 July, that's good news. With some interest rates that might be coming down in the second half of this year, That's good news. So there's good reasons to plan ahead, work hard, be optimistic. The next thing for me under Adam's other business is a little article in the Australian Financial Review. This was Sam Buckingham Jones's article about Tabcorp and News Corp. An interesting speculation that Tabcorp may no longer be sponsoring the race guides, as in the horse racing guides, Mm -hmm. in Darwin, Hobart and Adelaide in News Limited papers. So that's a really interesting thing because as we've watched print move to digital and progressively newspapers have become become thinner, less pages and less distributed, it's a really interesting point at which the viability of some of these commercial offerings as newspapers might be brought into question. So it's beyond just the race guide in Adelaide and Darwin and Hobart. It might be symbolic of what's changing in print to digital news media. So a couple of other things to watch. That's fascinating as well, just on a human level. Like if you go to a general workers pub or obviously the TAB stores, you can't 
look around for a second without seeing the paper. I know. And look, I used to walk down a mall, there'd be a tab corp, and I would literally see men typically Mm. come out of the newsagent, open the newspaper, throw most (laughs) of it away except for the race guide and walk into the TAB with a big smile on their face for the day. You know, that ritual is changing. Yeah. Do you think it all really affect the audience then? I think it has the power to Mm. over time because typically these changes are not drastic. They're kind of incremental. And so I think it does. It's probably not a sudden impact, but over time, yeah, I do. Mm. Interesting. It is interesting because I think of my father and dad, I love you, but he's horrible with technology. And he like <laughs> he has like, you know, sporting apps on his phone that like, he'll look at the score and I have to show him how to do it. <laughs> In a world, if, I, if he said, I'll just get the paper and I'll say, you can't do that anymore. I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> so can you please finish Adam's other business on a high note? Because... We usually do, and now well, I'm sad. Well, I can, yeah. but I'm going to throw to you, Neil, speaking of a high, the Retail Marketing Summit coming up. That was a good plug. Well done. The Retail <laughs> Marketing Summit is happening on the 13th of March. That's two weeks away in Sydney, and I sat down with one of the speakers, the Managing Director of Market Economics, Stephen Kukoulis, uh, to talk all about his session, The Retail Outlook with Cautious Consumers. Check it out. But maybe just give us uh, a couple of talking points and, and some a great reason to come along to this particular session. To come along, we're going to find out why there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, the last year, 18 months, it's been pretty clear to anybody in the economy, looking at economic conditions, retailing in particular, that the cost of living pressure, the fact that we had high inflation and relatively weak wages growth, that we had interest rate hikes, obviously, things like rents were going up at a rapid pace, so people just didn't have the spare cash to sort of pump around the retail sector. There are some signs that that's turning out. I'm going to go into some of those reasons. And while I'm not blindly optimistic, no, I realise there are some challenges ahead. There are a few reasons in what we're seeing in the economy, what we're seeing from the policymakers, be that the federal government, don't mention income tax cuts, um, with the Reserve Bank, maybe, just maybe interest rate cuts and a couple of other bits and bobs too, to think that the retail sector should be starting to look at a better second half of 2024 and into 2025 than we have seen in 2023 and the early months of 2024. I mean, you mentioned it's been a pretty turbulent 12 to 18 months, um, but it has been an interesting year, particularly in retail. So maybe tell the listeners why it's so important for brand leaders to to know about the economic outlook and, and what is to come. Oh, look, it is absolutely vital. And in fact, the other thing which I'm really keen to talk about at the session uh, next month is who is spending and who isn't. You know, we've got this really interesting phenomenon on the, I guess we call it the patchwork economy, because there are areas of strength, uh, genuinely. And it's people who are, dare I say, a little bit older in the older age cohorts who probably have paid off their mortgage, so they're not being hit by the interest rate hikes. Uh, they've probably got their money in superannuation, so they're actually benefiting from rate hikes. And if you actually dig down into the data, and this is something that's really important to think about in which segment you are in as a retailer, if you're targeting the OK Boomer set, they're probably the ones chugging along, spending a bit. If you're the younger cohort, paying a lot of money on your rent, you've got a mortgage, so you're being slugged on your mortgage repayments, you know, your wages have been moderate, but your cost of living's gone up. They're the ones that are clearly, and I've got some great data on this, that are clearly hunkering down. And for the moment, 
they're the ones that have really been putting the brakes on spending. So it does depend who your target market is. And sort of getting an understanding of what's happening there can help you perhaps set up for the next 12 to 18 months. Is that going to change? Yeah, and um, I know you mentioned right before we started recording that, you know, we are in a cost of living crisis right now, but we're, we are almost out of it. Could you speak a little bit about that? And and maybe when you say we're close, how close? Yeah. Well, we've we've got the crossover about now. This is a sort of interesting thing, you know, as an economist, look, I'm, I'm, I'm an economist, don't get me down on that. I'm not that boring. I try to be interesting, but I've got to look at the data. I've got to back up my views with hard data on the economy. And yeah. just in the last few weeks, literally the last few weeks, we've had this news coming through that inflation has come down. We were at 7.8%. We're now at 4.1% in terms of the annual inflation rate. Wages data, we were at 1.5%. So that was very weak. We're now at 4.2%. So that crossover, the four and four, we're just in the early stages of getting some real wage increases coming through. Now, we're, again, don't do cartwheels in the street. You know, it's not, we're all making heaps of money now. We're all going to be fine. But that crossover is happening. And through the course of this year, and again, it's something that I'm going to be teasing out in my presentation, there are reasons to think that as inflation continues to fall, even if wages sort of now consolidate, which I think they will around this 4% annual growth rate, mm -hmm. it will take a few tenths, we wage and salary earners will be feeling just a little bit more optimistic. We'll have a little bit more money to sort of think that we can spend a bit. And as I mentioned, with the income tax cuts, the possibility of interest rate cuts, you can see a scenario building here, can't you? Yeah, well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to see your session on the 13th of March. Uh, I hope you're ready. I'm getting ready. I'm getting all my data. And uh, I do, as an economist, I do have charts, but I try to keep it punchy and entertaining. So don't be turned off. Not all economists are boring. So hope to see you all there. Again, the Retail Marketing Summit is happening on the 13th of March in Sydney. To get your tickets, head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash retail. So, Neil, I know Stephen Kakoulis, and he is excellent. So he's been at the Reserve Bank. He's an advisor. He's been an advisor to governments. He specialises in this area and he's an enthusiast. What he does is bring worlds of data down to very strong concepts that you can apply to your business, particularly in retail marketing. And uh, Lauren, I don't think you've had a chance to meet Stephen Kukoulis yet. I have not. I'll be pleased to introduce you at the Retail Marketing Summit. He is awesome. So I hope everyone enjoys that session as well as the others. Well, that's all the time we have for on this week's show, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. We'll see you next week. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything we've talked about today. We'll see you next week. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.